Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Uh, today, we are talking Akalabeth. This is the downfall of Numenor from uh, the Silmarillion. This is episode 10 of 11. It's been one heck of a hot minute. I am your host, Craig Hanks. Over there, Ryan Bruckman joins me once again. How you doing, Ryan? Doing good. Yeah. Doing good. Yeah, do you want me to make a jokey insult for you about, you know, falling into the chasm? Uh, yeah. I feel like there's a butt crack joke or something in there. It's a... uh, Dumbadane. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it, took, uh, it, it took the actions of uh, Eru himself to pour enough ocean water into his crack to cleanse it of all uh, evil. I want to crush you with rocks like Eru did to the... <laughs> To the army, so <laughs> I got nothing. No, it's um. So we we are Kyle list today. Uh, so apology, uh, apologies, apologies to all the Kyle. <laughs> I wasn't fans. sure if you were poxing him or <laughs> what you were going for there. Uh, yeah, apologies to all the Kyle fans out there. We are Kyle list, but it has been so long. I think it's been like two, two and a half months yep. now since we uh, did a Silmarillion episode that oh, Ryan and I were just like, here's the time we're going to do it, Kyle. We hope you can make it, <laughs> and he couldn't make it, so. Yeah. Sorry, but uh, yeah, we're forging on. Uh, like I said, today, Akalabeth. Uh, before we get to that, uh, le thelegendarium.com uh, for past episodes, for the link to Patreon, for the link to Discord. Um, I am in talks with the existing patrons uh, as represented by Little Red Book about stuff that we can do for Patreon. Um, you know, that, that would be Patreon exclusives. And so if you'd like to make your voice heard, uh, you can become a patron for as little as a buck an episode. Uh, that's three to four bucks a month. Uh, that's it. And then you can get access to the patron channel on Discord and uh, you too can yell at me and I will actually take it. I won't take it from the general channel, Ryan. I, I just... Oh, I know. I know. I, I know how much I've had to pay to throw crap at you. So, <laughs> uh, no, anyway. So, yeah, Patreon things may be coming down the pike. Watch for that. Um, regardless, we'd love your support. And thank you for those who, who do give it. Really appreciate it. All right, Ryan. June 2016, we recorded an, an episode on Akala Beth. Do you recall this? I recall being there, and as I was reviewing a call about in, in my Kindle, <laughs> he was, uh, he I was... found notes from the prior time. I was like, oh yeah, we have talked about this. I do remember. Yeah, these notes don't make sense. Okay. <laughs> I, I have not gone back and listened to the episode. It's episode 95, if anybody cares to go back in the archive and check it out. I haven't gone back and listened to it, and I have no memory of what we talked about because, frankly, that was six years ago, and mm -hmm. so no, I'm not going to remember that. Um, but anyway, but it is there if people want to go check it out. Uh, and if you do, I apologize if there are any retreads of topics, but, uh, we're just gonna, the reason I didn't go back, Ryan, I, I was thinking about it, but the reason I didn't go back and listen to that one is because I thought, you know what, let's just, let's just keep it fresh with this reread. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back with, uh, any of the other episodes, whether it was, uh, Baron and Luthien or Turin Turan, but we did those before as well. Yeah. So I didn't go back on this one. Uh, but others can. So, Ryan, how did it go for you this time six years later? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, this time around, was able to enjoy it more. The prior times, we've kind of pieced out the individual stories that you thought would be most interesting and, and the most fun to talk about. Yes. This time, since we've been going from front to back, cover to cover, actually finishing the whole thing, um, there's a little more context for a lot of things. Uh, we've mentioned this in other pieces, but uh, I this is, the, this is interesting to me because this comes... After we finish the Silmaril, the Quintus Silmarillion, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting like, okay, so are we starting a new story? Are we starting this? But no, like there, there are the characters, a lot of the things that are still carrying over. We're just in a new, a new section here, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it this time. Um, I don't remember if I enjoyed it the first time or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's been that long, folks. Um, but I do, uh, I did enjoy this. Uh, this is probably my. favorite favorite story sequence that we that we go over because i love the numenorians i love mm -hmm. the whole story and the culture of of these uh men who are granted the the gift of longer life they're taller they, they kind superior of, powers of intelligence and physicality yeah, and all yeah. that right and and what their story is and how even they at a certain point they fall to the dark uh with Sar when sauron is allowed in and uh, does his little mind magic on everybody. Oh my gosh, it's so yeah. good. It's um, it's amazing. Yeah, 
how this this story is a bit of a Greek tragedy or something Mm -hmm. in in what's the opposite of miniature (laughs) (laughs) epic maxature uh sure no it's uh there there are no protagonists Mm -hmm. i mean eventually we kind of zoom in on uh uh uh, deal and isildur and anarion and um like we kind of zoom in on them for a few paragraphs as you know as they lead the faithful and escape the fall of numenor but really, it's a few paragraphs out of 25 pages of story. Uh, but it's like the, the main character is Numenorean society. And it's uh, the story of a people who are, you know, on, on a power scale, they, en- they end up going Super Saiyan. If Super Saiyan is the dial going to 11, yeah. then that's at the end of the story. But they start at like a nine, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're really, they're, they are favored of the gods, and given this wonderful land and yeah, and yes we are going to just kind of recap this as we go mm-hmm. yeah so yeah just prepare for that anyway uh they're, but they're given all this stuff and eventually work their way up toward that kind of super saiyan status <laughs> and um but and they're then blocked fall right yeah and then they fall spectacularly um and that's the end of the freaking story mm-hmm. so interesting how how this could track it a story that had a protagonist Mm-hmm. you know does that make sense it that, would that not, Numenor is the protagonist yeah right. it it would not be difficult to insert other stories inside of this story uh, kind of viewing the fall because now you have the big picture thing which is what I feel like most of the Silmarillion has been giving yeah. bigger picture things but you could easily write the story of a Numenorian and their journey as and, you know until the fall of the Numenor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thing. you could easily do it yeah it's uh, do you mind if we if we acknowledge the existence of the upcoming Amazon show, I, I'm I'm fine with that. Okay. I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> Just only to say, I right now I don't really have any interest in passing prejudgment on the show. My yeah. my only point is, what a canvas mm-hmm. for a show like that. And of course, they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion. They have to stay with the the uh, appendices to the Lord of the Rings or whatever. Right. You know, quote unquote. Uh, but you can bet your bottom dollar they've got this chapter memorized, right? Oh, yeah. You would hope so. Right. And what a canvas to work with where mm-hmm. you have such um, you have such a society with such seemingly interesting characters that you only get to view from 30,000 feet away. Yeah. Um, and so they can they can pick and choose and say, hey, you know, we really want to zoom in on this episode. I would be shocked if the show didn't have um, the scene when Isildur breaks in and steals a fruit from the white tree, mm-hmm. the dying white tree, you know, and, and creates uh, or, or uh, yeah, whatever. He, he grows this new scion of Telperion. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful scene. Um, and it, it happens in one paragraph. And, you know, that's there's such a, a rich bit of possibility there yeah. to write an entire sequence a, you know a whole episode or a whole six episode arc around that it'll probably you know be a flashback or something uh-huh. but some smaller portion well and uh, at bare minimum you have to acknowledge where sauron is if he's going to be a mm. character in your piece and that he does spend time in this being part of the numenorean mm-hmm, society mm-hmm. there so you can't just in blatantly ignore it like if you can't write about it you can't ignore it either right so yeah and it's and it's not just those who are in it like uh, Sauron and Isildur you I I guess part of my point with all this is I don't mind that people are complaining oh they're just gonna make up characters whole out of whole cloth there's plenty there for you to yeah do exactly it. I don't mind that that's that that's the joy of a chapter like this is it uh, gives you that kind of historical overview and then leaves your imagination to run wild when it says that there were divisions among the people and the the, the king's men or whatever they called them versus the faithful yeah um there there's a whole five five season series in there about how that rift got caused and you know mm-hmm. what drove these people apart and who was on which side of which faction and uh, you know who their counselors were and 
um, you know, who was mucking the stables that this king was riding out of, whatever. You know, there's yeah. a lot there that's just that's just under the surface, right? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I, I feel like I'm bloviating now for a while. Well, it's it's an exciting opportunity coming up here, and this is it is connected. So yeah. So let's go back to the beginning of this chapter and talk about, uh, like I said, we're going to kind of recap as we go. I mentioned already that uh, the, the people of Numenor are the, the favorite of the gods, right? So these are the folks who helped during the war, uh, the, the great war with uh, Morgoth in the Quintus Silmarillion, the three houses of the Edain, the men um, in those chapters. So they were gifted the island of Numenor. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a great sequence that is so wonderfully kind of fairy tale or mythological where um, the gods raise up the islands and, uh, you know, this god made the land and then this god or goddess uh, fl- made it flower and grow and they, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then the seas were stilled and the winds blew just right. So all they had to do was like step onto these ships and it just took them across this smooth as glass water all the way to their paradisical island like wonderful yeah um anyway there was uh but there was one little bit that i wanted to point out right from the beginning a line that i highlighted this time through uh let's see the cell uh oh it is said by the eldar that men came into the world in the time of the shadow of morgoth okay so we Mm -hmm. heard about all this they fell swiftly under his dominion for he sent his emissaries among them and they listened to his evil and cunning words and they worshipped the darkness and yet feared it. But there were some that turned from evil and left the lands of their kindred and wandered ever westward. Okay, so now we're setting the table for this chapter. But I, I highlighted that. Um, they, they fell swiftly under his dominion, but there were some that turned from evil. And it's almost like we're getting a view of the human race that's kind of the opposite of what we were shown of the elves at the beginning of the Silmarillion, where it was like the elves were, um, they were uncorrupted and they had to be captured and tortured and mutilated and turned, they, they had to be forcibly turned away from, you know, their innate goodness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas um, humans are the opposite. They, they fell swiftly under the shadow. They, you know, Morgoth took them in very easily and it was only through effort uh, and a few unique and and uh, wise individuals that some of them turned away from the shadow. Um, and now we're getting into some real, you know, Tolkien is Catholic and that's coming through stuff uh-huh. here, right? Where man has fallen and not just fallen, but fallen and depraved and evil. And it's only with great effort that man can turn his heart toward God, you know, that sort of yes. thing. Right. So anyway, it's just a, it's a little line in there, but I'd never noticed it before and kind of jumped out to me on this one. So, uh, Ryan, as we do, you, do you have any notes from kind of this beginning of the story? Yeah, actually, there's a. Uh, it's in a very similar vein. It's just a little bit further on in. Um, they it talks right here. I'll just I'll read this here. Um, along those lines, they there's something unique about this era, though, is the the fact that Morgoth has been removed um, from right. From the circles of the yeah, world. In, in prior stories, like he still has a heavy influence in by, by actually existing there. But um, if you actually read a little further on, it says, um, but, but Manway put forth Morgoth and shut him beyond the, world in the, uh, beyond the world in the void that is without. And he cannot himself return again into the world, present and visible, while the lords of the West are still enthroned. Yet the seeds that he planted still grew and sprouted, bearing evil fruit if any would tend them. Yeah, I highlighted that too. It's gorgeous writing there, fantastic. But it's it it sets this idea now that the evil that is done here is it's less of an evil force that is pushing on people, and more of I've left these seeds, and those and the nature of you will go in and mess with them and start actually making it happen. Right. Um. It's it speaks to the how powerful Morgoth is how powerful Sauron will become as well as he continues to, to work on fill that role, fill that role as the, as the new dark Lord. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's interesting. As we <laughs> kind of want, I, I want a gif. I want an audio version of a gif or, you know, a little clip of Will Smith and men in black saying old and busted new hotness. 
<laughs> Sorry. Okay, go on. I, I, that, that, that broke my train of thought. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was uh, not quite the intention, but uh, no. not that. Sorry, it's just mainly the the, the whole section here talking. Uh, I feel like it puts more weight on the choices made by the people who live in the era, in the era when there isn't someone who's actively uh, working the way that Morgoth mm-hmm. was. Sauron is now stepping into that role and doing that, so it's not entirely gone. It's not like we've gotten rid of the bad guy, and so now it's just the evil that's in the men's hearts. But that's still a, it's still a little bit more of a uh, a reality here than it was, I feel, even prior. Yeah, there's a a bit about um, you know even with Morgoth gone, uh, that that men in the eastern parts of the world in Middle Earth basically mm-hmm. they still had to deal with his uh, his works. So the Balrogs and the dragons and the orcs and the you know yeah. whatever else, all these the fell beasts and all this um, the and not just that, I mean, we can talk about what Morgoth did, uh, you know, back in the creation of the world where he says, oh, you like water, huh? Watch me freeze it. Ah, you know, mm-hmm. and of course we know what Iluvatar said about that, right? Yeah, you can you can do it, but it's all going to work toward it's my good my eventually. Opinion. But that doesn't mean it doesn't suck yeah, in the here now, mm-hmm. right? And so it's kind of, that's the world that human beings are having to deal with that Morgoth left behind for them. Yeah. And where it's not just those external forces of Sauron and it's not just the, um, the latent evil in the hearts of men. It's, uh, you know, he, he left behind a lot of the seeds like in that passage you talked about. Yeah. But that also connects, um, I'm going to jump to another, another quote that's a little further in. Um, but I think this also explains to a certain extent the, the Numenorean desire when they start, they have the band, they can't go to uh, Amon and they can't sail further west, mm-hmm. right? They're not allowed to do that. Um, and they want, they're starting to, to covet immortality. They want that, right. that level there. Um, this, this paragraph here says, now this yearning grew ever greater with the years and the Numenoreans began to hunger for the undying city that they saw from afar and the desire of everlasting life to escape from death and the ending of delight grew strong upon them. And ever as their power and glory grew greater, their unquiet increased. For though the Valar had rewarded the Dunedain with long life, they could not take from them the weariness of the world that comes at last. Like, just the idea of having to deal with everything and then die. I, I don't know. That, <laughs> that feels very apt right now. Like Right. <laughs> Like, you, life, life's a, a, a biatch and yeah. then you die yeah <laughs> I'm, I highlighted that specifically for the reason I was like yeah that feels that feels very apt right now the, the the weariness of having to deal with everything because right now everything is a problem and everything is just like it's right there's it, really a weight on there um, but to look at it this way in that sense of uh, you know what the the Numenorians are dealing with you know the exhaustion of, you know, we live 500 years and we die. I would like it to have value in my life. The rest of you get to be immortal and you can eventually see, you know, when this gets cleared up, you get to live past that. You get right. to live into this. And we don't. I, there's so. there's a great exchange. Um, it, well, first of all, I'll say it's it's amazing. Every time I read this chapter, it's amazing how fast we get there. Where, mm-hmm. you know, Tolkien takes one page to say this is a, an amazing society that has flowered into this, uh, you know, wonderful technologically advanced and artistically advanced mm-hmm. society, whatever. Um, and then, you know, two pages in, it's like, and now they're all a bunch of a-holes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he spends 20 pages telling you why they're a bunch of a-holes and how they're a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> and uh, I should probably stop saying a-holes. Um, where, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, there's a great exchange when the messengers from Valinor are coming. So these are the messengers from uh, Manwe. And the rest of the Valar, they, they come, and it, this is a regular thing, right? They're, they're always coming and exchanging uh, words and ideas and who knows what else, goods and whatnot, with, uh, with the Numenorians. And now they come, and the Numenorians are like, hey, F you, buddy, I want to live forever. How, you know, what makes you so special? And they're kind of taken aback by this, and they're... It's it's a conversation that's happening, you know, one paragraph to the next, but it's mm-hmm. you can almost see how it's taking months and months to, you know, okay, we got to sail there and then we'll come back with the message and send the message. But basically, it's um, 
it's this exchange where they're saying exactly what you're talking about. We want to enjoy this. Oh, what's what's going on with you getting eternal life and we don't get eternal life? And the elves are kind of frustrated saying like, don't you get it? Like, we've been telling you since the very beginning that this is a gift and you accepted that it was a gift a long time ago. Death is a gift that you're not confined to this world, that you're not mm-hmm. stuck here, that you do get to leave. Uh, there's a great quote toward the end of the chapter about this is not your home. Mm-hmm. We have always held that this is not your home, that, you know, that uh, Iluvatar, Iru, you know, that he, that's your home. You know, you'll go back to the, the bosom of whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, Elvish uh, catechism would say. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, I think it's a really interesting exchange. And um, if and what the elves are telling them is, hey, you're losing your faith and you you need to be careful and get it back, you know, lest ye perish spiritually and physically. Um, and that that faith, and this is, okay, look, this isn't Sunday school and I'm not preaching the Silmarillion as scripture. <clears throat> but, <laughs> no, it's it's this idea of, uh, of death as a gift and them rejecting that slowly over time where um, if, uh, if you as a Numenorean believed at some point that, that Eru loved you and was giving you gifts, then why would you think, why would you think that uh, by loving this world, that this was the most lovable thing out there? You mm-hmm. know, wouldn't you think that your all-loving God would have something better for you? Right. Waiting on the other side, stop despairing and clinging to this thing that you have, you know, stop letting, um, you know, this good life be the enemy of the perfect one, potentially to come, you know, I don't know if, you know, if I were an elf arguing faith with a Numenorean, it'd uh-huh. be, that'd be my tactic, something along those lines. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just, I, you can, I think you can understand though, the, just the weight and the frustration and wanting change, wanting something different. Yeah. After well, that. It is harder for them because they have regular, um, <laughs> the the proper word is intercourse, man. You know what yeah. I mean. With the elves, they're constantly uh, mingling with the elves, and so they actually get to see people who you know, like, oh yeah, you were my great 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 grandfather's best friend, uh-huh. um, and now you're exactly the same, and he's long gone, and I will be too, yeah, and you'll still be here. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love that. I'd love to be on the other end of this deal. And it's, I thought it was interesting. It's, it's a very little minor detail, though, but I thought it was interesting that uh, the Numenorians are very slow to uh, to grow. Mm-hmm. Like it just does, does the gestation period for a Numenorean different, or <laughs> is it just not on their mind at the time? Like I was just curious about that because I mean the race does get pretty heavily wiped out when when atlantis sinks essentially right but i don't know um on, on that note should we, let, let's change tax a little Switch bit a little bit yeah yeah and uh so you you mentioned atlantis yes right uh did you catch the name the atlantis name in this chapter atalante yeah uh so that's obviously a callback to atlantis right so this is his literally his atlantis story yeah um and then there was another one did you catch Avalon? Yeah, yes. Avalone. Avalone, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, do you remember where that city is? Um, I remember it's the last thing that people see before they go into the Undying Lands. Right, so so it is the city, it's the westernmost city on the Isle of Tol Eresea, mm-hmm. uh, which is the island that is closest to Valinor. So mm-hmm. when the elves are called from Middle-earth, uh, you know, the, the Noldor are, are told, yeah, you can come on back. Uh, we'll yeah. we'll take you and the, and the gray gray elves are told this too um and so they're allowed to sail across the ocean they go to tol Erisea, and that's where avalon is mm-hmm. so there you go there's your little call back to some legends just through the well, names in here yeah then the, the legend of avalon is one that is used pretty heavily in the arthurian legends and things like that too so right. like you know more of that uh myth- mythology of England that he was aiming to build, I guess, connecting yeah. it to that. Um, yeah, how how did the names go for you in this chapter? Because I felt like there were a couple of spots where, or there, there were many spots where the story flowed and I was in the groove 
And then you'd get to like the tale of kings and, mm-hmm. you know, this king married that sister and, you know, or that cousin and that wasn't allowed because she was the son of this guy who was the son of that guy. And it was like a couple paragraphs. And this happened a couple of times where yeah. it's just like, I, I felt assaulted. I started doing crossword <laughs> or not crossword, uh, word searches on the, on the pages, just <laughs> all the, the random things around there. Yeah. No, the, the naming convention, it, it, like many things, I, I honestly, I, I let, it just kind of wash off me because I'm. Mm-hmm. If something stands out to me, I'll grab onto it. But otherwise, I wasn't going to worry about it too much as we read yeah. through them. Um, and then just ones that recurred. Uh, the special, especially King Ab. Arfarazon. Arfarazon. Yeah. Because um, his he his story takes a little bit of time, in right? There, since he's kind of the one who's like, no, we're gonna we're going to go take this. We're going to go over there because yeah, once yeah. we land on that ground, then we get to be immortal. Right. And it's like, that's not, no, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> it's not. So yeah, about we just spent a little time with him. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, you know, before we leave vocab words, uh, I've got a couple words of the day for you. Okay. Okay. Fane. F A N E. I'll read you the sentence. Uh, let's see. In the midst of the land was a mountain tall and steep, and it was named the Meneltarma, the pillar of heaven, and upon it was a high place that was hallowed to Eru Iluvatar. And it was open and unroofed, and no other temple or fane was there in the land of the Numenorians. Fane, uh, F-A-N-E. Place uh, of worship? Yep, temple or shrine. Oh. I had never heard that in my life, even having read this chapter. I just <laughs> My brain must have skipped right over it. Yeah, I mean, I can pull it from that. I just kind of feel that from the context, but yeah, exactly. That's I never heard that before. But there you go. And then there's there was another one um, that I thought was uh, even more interesting because it's a word that we actually hear more now. Now I got to find it. There it is. Panoply. Okay, so this is what you're talking about. We hear this often. <laughs> yeah, like a panoply of riches or a panoply of this and that and the other. No, really? Okay, all right. Yeah, we're going to the almighty Googs. Might right. legitimately be the first time I've heard that word outside of. Are you serious? Like, yeah. What? Okay, so oh, I, I'm, I. That's interesting. Okay, panoply. Now this is uh, the 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 word as we tend to use it now well and by we i mean everybody but you apparently apparently uh a complete or impressive collection of things a uh, (laughs) the the quote here on google is a deliciously inventive panoply of insults or a splendid display all the panoply of western religious liturgy you know whatever i don't know okay you've never heard panoply before i have never heard that maybe it's been mispronounced to me my whole life there's something that i don't know that you need to read more apparently Panoply person who's on a book club podcast. Yeah. P-A-N-O-P-L-E. P-L-Y. 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 Yeah. Panoply. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, I'm I'm really glad I picked this as a word of the day. Now this is yeah. amazing. Now I'll see it. Now I'll hear it and see it everywhere I go. It'll be a constant word that I'll just I'll throw it out randomly and use it. I'm just I'm, I'm going to be shouting it randomly at you for the rest of the episode. Got it. Until it loses all meaning <laughs> and all you can hear is the sounds. Panoply. I'm gonna just I'm gonna mispronounce it from here on out too. No, I panoply. <laughs> Panople. Panoplo. Pa- panotuply. Pan- yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So the sentence is: uh, This is Arfarazon assaulting the uh, the Undying Lands. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. He went aboard his mighty ship, uh, Alcarandas, Castle of the Sea. Blah blah blah. Then he did on his panoply and his crown and let raise his standard. Um, and so I, I looked it up. I was like, huh, that's an interesting place to use that word. Apparently, it is a historical term for a complete set of arms or suit of armor. Hmm. A panoply. A complete suit of armor. So there you go. Well, that makes sense. I feel like, I, 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 to be honest, I learned that. I think a lot of our listeners will hear that and go, you know, I've never heard it used in that way. Hmm. And you get to say, I've never heard it used anyway. So this is the greatest word of the day I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. This, this really worked out. I, I am happy to allow my ignorance to be the content <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the content we're all here for, honestly. All right, Ryan. Uh, what else uh, do we got? We, let's move through the story. Let's keep trying to, to get through the story. We've talked about um, kind of the establishment, establishment of Numenor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stop me when you get to something where there's a, a point that you want to bring up. Uh, the Numenorians are 
are banned from sailing west. They yes. can sail west only as far as they can still see Numenor. Right. Because if they go any further, then they're, you know, getting too close. They're encroaching upon the Blessed Realm, right? So they always sail east. And uh, for 2,000 years, they are going to Middle Earth. Uh, and, you know, they set up camps there. They build their towers. They whatever. And they're coming as teachers, as as wise givers of lore and craft and all this. So the people of Middle Earth are really benefiting from the Numenorians. Yeah. Um, you know, they even go so far as to view them as gods when they come and then leave. <laughs> They're like, wow, those were like, <laughs> they, they might as well be aliens, right? Sufficient, yeah. Sufficiently advanced technology and all that stuff, right? Well, um, and they're, they're also, it helps that they're physically different from the rest of the men in Middle Earth. Right, they're taller. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that they're all, uh, you know, they look like they are from central casting, you know, yeah. male yep. models from central casting. Uh, okay, so anyway, that's that's how it goes, and then eventually the the pride cycle kicks in. Anybody who's been to Sunday school has heard of the pride cycle, and many mm-hmm. who haven't probably. Um, the pride cycle kicks in. They they begin to get so powerful that they covet immortality, like you're talking about, um, and that that covetousness uh, creates a change in the Numenorians, and they don't dare yet break the ban and try to sail west, mm-hmm. um, but they will assert their uh their adolescent independence in whatever way they can and they take it out on middle earth basically so now they're going to middle earth and they're like hey look we've given and we've given and we've given and now we're taking so they come they're they're slavers they're uh taxers mm-hmm. <laughs> as though that's the quite the same thing but anyway uh but yeah now they're they are making war on the people of Middle Earth and taking their stuff and, and taking them as slaves and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's getting pretty bad. Um, eventually, there is there's a split in the Numenorians. We've got the faithful, and then we've got the the people who are descending into evil. Right at this point, we are. Correct me if I'm wrong here. At this point, though, we are under it, Sauron has. No, 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 we haven't, gotten, nope, to that haven't gotten there yet. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, uh, there is a character who comes up. Uh, the reason I bring up the split is because there's a character who comes up. His name is uh, Tar Palantir. Yes. And he is, so he's uh, a son that ascends to the throne, and his mother has secretly been teaching him the righteous ways oh, of the right. Jedi. Yes. Um, so she she's a good person. She gets married kind of against her will to this evil king, gives birth to a son and he eventually ascends to the throne and he tries to repair some of the damage, but the society is too far gone. He can't single-handedly bring them all, you know, back uh, from the the brink of wickedness. Right. right? Um, that guy, yeah, that was Tar Palantir and that should sound familiar, mm-hmm. right? He's a, he's a, it's like far seer or something or true seer or something like that. Um, and so, yes, the Palantiri, we, we we know about the seeing stones that might come into play later, but not now. Anyway, uh, but he eventually dies and the throne goes to the next king who is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's, I, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you can read this story 20 times and you still need to read it, you know, one more to remember all the order of things. <laughs> but right. I think it's, I think it's Tar Palantir's grandson Mm-hmm. So the the next king is awful, and then the next king after that is Ar Farazon, mm-hmm. who is who you know takes up a good ten pages of this twenty five page chapter. Um, so he's the one that is is eventually going to set sail. He gathers up all of his armies um, and assaults the blessed realm. But before that, what he does is um, he hears about Sauron in Middle Earth, declaring himself uh, Lord of Men or you know, like King of Men something like that. Yeah. Um, and of course, <laughs> the Numenorian king can't have that. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I kind of sympathize with a little bit. Okay. Not, yeah, look, I'm not saying this is a righteous desire or something, but if I'm in their position, you know, hey, every time we sail to Middle Earth, we are, you know, we used to be worshipped as gods, now we're feared as gods. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the most powerful, th- this is Probably the most powerful single kingdom that the earth has ever seen. And I include all the elves of the first age that we talked about already, right? This is probably the most powerful force the world has ever seen. 
And Sauron has the gall to say, I'm the king of all men. Mm-hmm. Well, buddy, you're in for a world, a world of hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So Arpharazon is the one who sets sail to Middle-earth. He lands in uh, Umbar. And for those of you who have played Lord of the Rings Risk, you know what that is, right? Do you remember that one? It's in like the south. It's one of the coastal uh, fortresses. I'll have to pull it out when I get home because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I have that still sitting in the closet. Yeah. Uh, it, anyway, so they land at Umbar. They, they march for a week northward mm-hmm. toward uh, Sauron's fortress at Barad-dûr. Yes, it's already there. Um, and Sauron sees the hosts of Numenor. And, you know, he was getting ready to make war. He's like, I'm going to defend my claim to be lord of all men. And he sees the Numenorians. He's like, F that. Nope, nope. I'm, I'm out. out. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, so he goes to their camp um, and throws himself at the mercy of the Numenorians and pretends that he's penitent. And uh, gosh, I had no idea how powerful you were. Oh, king. Ooh, oh, yeah. Your armor is so shiny. Yeah. yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, sorry, you look like you're going to say something. No, I uh, just please don't take me. Please don't. Uh, I have a Disney <laughs> reference, but it's not what I'm going to go for. So, well, what is it? Oh, please don't throw me in that briar patch. Smash Mountain. Oh, is this Song of the South? Song of the South story. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan will pull a Disney reference out of anywhere. Yep. Uh, including Song of the South. You heard it here first, folks. Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> that's right. I have tied the Silmarillion into Song of the South. <laughs> My proudest uh, moment. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, we're still gonna get it. Yeah, <laughs> we're still gonna get it for that. Yeah. It's it is all. It it's most of the time it's me. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> you're, that's right. I still love that you're the one who got called out for being was it homophobic on yeah. our uh, on our uh, iTunes uh, one of the reviews. reviews. Yeah, <laughs> said Ryan was homophobic, uh, which still gets me every time. That's hilarious. Anyway, where were we? Uh, Sauron throwing himself penitently, false, falsely penitently That's right. at the feet of the Numenorians. Right. So this is kind of like, it's if, uh, if the Numenorians were setting fire to their civilization before, then Sauron is the leaky water balloon that they, uh, full of gasoline that mm-hmm. they take with them back to their island, right? Yep. yep, yep, yep. Um, and it's just, it's, you're just waiting for that moment when it's going to pop. Um, and it does. It does, but I, terrifyingly and kind of gloriously, narratively speaking. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting though. For it, for it to go down, for the everything to fall apart, though, ultimately takes an act of the gods, like literally sinking the island. Right. Like that. There's something to be said for them being so powerful and getting so big that it ha- You actually have to get to the point where the gods have to intervene and be like. Nope, can't do this. Not yeah. just the gods. Like God. The, and this is why I was saying earlier, this is probably the most powerful force the world has ever seen because when Morgoth, uh, finally it looks like he's going to win in Middle-earth and Erendil takes his ship over and is like, hey, can you help us out? Mm-hmm. And they they send the Vanyar and lay waste to Morgoth, just crush him. Yeah. Um like it ain't no thing right that was at the end of the first age now we're in the second age um and we're we're fast forwarding a little bit sauron has been whispering in the ears of the numenorians now they're worshiping melkor building temples for him human sacrifices all the works right um and now they're assaulting literally assaulting the blessed realm send all their ships out a fleet that's surrounding uh, Tol Erisea, the island we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And finally, the king steps foot on the blessed realm with a bunch of, you know, his force. And the Valar take a look at that and go, um, God? Yeah. You there? Can you we, help us out? <laughs> we, need, we need something here. We need a moment here, if you wouldn't mind. So I guess, I guess, uh, for the, yeah, just just juxtapose that against what happened with Morgoth, mm-hmm. one of the Valar and his hosts. And they're just like, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, we'll take care of it. And they stomp him like a bug. And the Numenorians, they're like, yeah, we're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. Right? Please send rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what happens is uh, it, it's, it's actually, I, th- I think it's an interesting passage and one that we could probably dig into 
um, at a later date. It's I feel like there's probably too much there for this discussion. But when Manwe and the rest of the Valar relinquish dominion over the Earth mm-hmm. and give it back to Eru and say like this is this is too much for us. This is uh, we can't handle this. It's in your hands. What are you gonna do? And then the most remarkable thing happens when, you know, we've talked about the, the ocean swallows up the ships, mm-hmm. um, the, the king's hosts that are already on the shores of Valinor get covered up. Uh, with, essentially, he shoves mountains over on top of them yeah. and covers them up. Uh, and the island of Numenor sinks into the sea entirely, just mm-hmm. gone, wiped off the face of the earth. Um, and in that, or after that, or I should say, in the aftermath of that, sailors you know they go in search of uh, is there any remnant of Numenor left maybe the tallest peak is still sticking out of the water maybe we can find something they never find it they search so long and so far that eventually they they go west far enough to find new lands Mm -hmm. and new oceans that weren't there before Um, and they discover to their surprise the world is now Now round round, yep which I when when I I've I've talked a lot about the story of uh, when I was seventeen and read this for the first time and didn't understand anything had to go back mm-hmm. to page one. That was one moment where my mind just exploded. Even on the first time through, I got what had happened. Yeah, <laughs> and it was cool. Yeah, it's like wait a minute, the world was flat this whole time. Yeah, and then I think he says he takes Amon and Amon Amon and uh, separates it, and I was like. like he, moon like like you can't get to it now right it's completely separated from it so he's like oh we'll wrap this up we'll take this we'll move it over here and separate out of the way like yeah i don't know that's one of my it's one of my favorite bits of um lore just from uh just just from a standpoint of imagination Mm -hmm. and the the images and feelings that it evokes because I, I don't know about a moon, but it's almost like an alternate dimension. Yeah. Right. It's still there. It's still connected to the world, but it's separated somehow. So, okay. So mm-hmm. now we can think of it like an alternate dimension maybe. Uh, but the way that it's described is that there are still straight paths. Okay. okay so at the end of this chapter there, they, it, it uh, mentions the elves that sail into the West and actually go to, uh, Valinor, or at least Tol Arisea, uh, and how they they must somewhere find the capital S straight paths. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that the whole earth is curved, but there is, in fact, a straight uh, path that you can sail into this, uh, you know, alternate dimension, if we want to put it that way. Um, and, and, you know, and only the elves are allowed to find it and, and sail it. They find the crease. The crease where... <laughs> oh, boy. Are we back on that now? Uh, trying to bring it full circle, I guess. <laughs> it always comes back to the crease, so... Wow. Wow. Um, no, anyway, I've, I, 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 that was one of the very few concepts from the book that I grasped right away and mm-hmm. have always, always loved that image of... Like, you picture that boat at the end of Return of the King in the movie version, you know, or in your mind if you're reading the book, whatever... Frodo and co are sailing off into the West. And I just love this idea that at some point they, they find the straight path and the world kind of curves and drops away underneath them and they keep sailing Mm -hmm. until they get to Valinor. Like that's cool stuff. That is cool. Yeah. Um, All right, Ryan, what else you got? I've uh, been blustering for a while now. You you said you had some notes you wanted to go over. Did we, uh, I think we've we've jumped further ahead than most uh, of my notes have. Let me see. That's right. I I think we we kind of covered the actual story at this point, right? So the only thing I think um, the only uh, no the the only thing story wise recap wise that we might want to dive into more is Sauron's influence uh, over the king and all that. But uh, we can come back to that. So what else you got? Yeah. Uh, can we talk about just for connection purposes? Because we have the three, the three brothers. We have uh, Isildur. Isildur and Anarion are brothers. Brothers. Their and, father is Elendil, and Elrond. Elrond is uh, no, no, no. Sorry, yeah, I'm their cousin. Of, <laughs> um, who are you thinking of? Are you thinking oh, of shoot. his father? Um, 
you're you're thinking of uh there's i just remember there's a the, the there's a trio of of people in there and they um oh the the guy who sailed off and tried to to pull an erendil yes right yeah his name it starts with an a amandil ah got it got it is that yeah that's who you're thinking of i think okay what about him uh it was a it was a portion that I didn't remember from the first time through mm-hmm. going through a lot of this. I was like, I'm like, oh, okay, I vaguely remember. I didn't remember these three and their pieces, and then this one trying to, to take off that. I don't know how much their story shifts the main story or not, but I don't know. I just that's it was a portion that just stood out to me this time. It's like, oh, yeah. these these three. Yeah. So Amandil, yeah, Amandil, think of him as the, the grandfather in this portion. So he's uh, he's the, the patron of the family, I suppose, mm-hmm. and he's one of the faithful. Uh, so he's very troubled by what's going on with, uh, you know, the kings and they're turning away from the Valar and all that stuff. Um, and so he and his son, Elendil, and I'm sure, you know, there are other members of the family as well, um, they and the rest of the faithful are starting to separate themselves from the rest of the Numenorians. They're living on a different part of the island and, you know, uh, secretly still dealing with the elves and all that stuff. Um, and then, so so we have Amandil and, Elen, uh, and Elendil. I feel like Elen, the name Elendil is more one that I feel like jumped out to me more also from... Right. So, yeah, yeah we're getting there. Connect that dot for okay. me. <laughs> the dot is this. So Amandil, the grandfather, he, he's so troubled and he sees what's coming. He actually hears about Arfarazon's plans to assault uh, the Blessed Realm. And he's so troubled by this that he decides, I'm going to sail into the West just like uh, Erendil did and sue for peace or help at least. Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm going to go to the Valar and see what they can do for us. And he even acknowledges it probably won't work. Uh, but I'm going to do what I can. And so he and three of his household staff, for lack of a better term, uh, hop on a ship and they sail off to try to do just that. And nobody ever heard from them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the text says something like, uh, you know, that wasn't going to work a second time. That that was a one-time yeah. deal with with uh, with uh, Erendil. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's him. Now we have... Elendil, he's the one who's left. Now he's kind of the leader of the family, the leader of the faithful. And he has two sons, Isildur and Anarion. So the dot you're trying to connect is that Elendil, um, eventually he and his sons do uh, escape what's going on and they set sail toward Middle-earth. When Arfarazon and the rest of uh, Numenor sails off to the Blessed Realm, uh, Elendil and his sons and the rest of the faithful, they take seven ships and they're booking it toward Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. And there's a suggestion that possibly Amandil's mission was a partial success because when, when, the, uh, when the ish hits the fan and Eru finally destroys the whole fleet, sinks Numenor, covers up all the people with the mountains, whatever, um, that those seven ships probably should have been destroyed alongside everything yeah. else because they were in the ocean as well uh even if they were kind of racing away from what was going on but with all of the tumult that was going on uh, the waves kind of picked them up and pushed them toward middle earth mm-hmm. so it's possible that amandil's uh you know prayer was granted that they that they did take those a look at chose. those who uh, who were faithful and and helped them out so anyway now Elendil and his two sons arrive on Middle-earth, and that's where we get the kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. Okay. Okay, so um, if I'm getting this right, some, somebody will correct me. I'm going off memory here. Isildur and Anarion rule in the south. They're, they rule Gondor, and uh, Elendil rules Arnor in the north. And he's the one who, like in the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring, Isildur, Isildur has the ring. took up his father's sword. Yeah. Right, that was Elendil. And when Aragorn is fighting anybody, his war cry is Elendil. You made fun of that in one of our very first episodes. Elendil. I can still hear you shouting that (laughs) into my headphones, actually. So yeah, okay. So that's I. I just needed that dot connected because I knew it was. I I knew I had a pretty good sense that this Isildur was the one Uh uh, that connects into the the Lord of the Rings. 
prologue area yes. that. Um, but Elendil, I didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't, I hadn't connected that. So that, that, that connects that piece for me. So there you go. Yeah. So when, uh, when Aragorn, um, unites the kingdoms, that's what we're talking about is like these mm-hmm. ancient kingdoms, uh, kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. He now, uh, he's the heir of Elendil and takes up the kingship of both of them, which kind of seems like a dick move now that I think about it. It's like, <laughs> hey, yeah, there are two kingdoms. Hey, you think you get both of them? Well, I guess he does. Yeah, I mean, the rightful heir to them with how the Numenorians were leading the whole time. <laughs> um, okay, Ryan, I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, let's see. It, it, on that note of Amandil sailing off into the west to try to get the help from the Valar, right? Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. He took with him three servants dear to his heart, and never again were they heard of by word or sign in this world, nor is there any tale or guess of their fate. Men could not a second time be saved by any such embassy, and for the treason of Numenor, there was no easy absolving. Now, here's my question. Is this fundamentally different than what happened with Erendil? Because, okay, so cast your mind back to the Quintus Silmarillion, mm-hmm. the war for the Silmarils with the Noldor, the betrayers of, you know, the, the Oath Keepers, but betrayers of their kin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, their war on Morgoth and the Valar helped them out. Well, it says here, you know, it's not going to happen a second time. For the treason of Numenor, there was no easy absolving. Mm-hmm. Um, are the Numenorians and is this situation fundamentally different than what the Noldor did and what they went through fundamentally different um or you know why wouldn't it work this time why wouldn't the valar help them out that is i mean it could <laughs> it's tough this is it's really tough because the only thing that comes to mind initially is that the noldor are of the firstborn okay like, yep and the Numenorians are not. They're just the closest to, like, that mankind has been allowed to be brought to them. Mm-hmm. And so, in that very simple sense, fundamentally, it doesn't work because you're you are not part of the group that would that has that connection uh, to the Valar. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that they're racist. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the Valar are racist. You heard it here that's, first again. But wow, Ryan's full of nuggets today. Yeah, that's yeah. that. Uh, but the only other thing that comes to mind as I'm thinking about this is, I, I can see some frustration and anger in the sense that uh, the Numenorians had been gifted so much that others had not, in terms of the race of men, mm-hmm. that the the feeling of anger and frustration uh, that you're turning on us as treasonous the, the, because but, we have been nothing but good to you right. and better than we've been to everybody else makes that make more sense yeah um than something where it's the the you know the the noldor yeah set. no i think that's i think that's totally fair um my thought when i got to that because i hadn't really noticed that before and highlighted it this time and thought about it a little bit um the noldor are they think of it like wayward children right they're rebelling against their parents uh, so to speak and they're you know no i'm not going to clean my room i'm going to middle earth to make war on morgoth instead yeah um i'll do what i want (laughs) right so they're headstrong they're wayward they're prideful um and they go off to middle earth and prosecute this war um but at no point do they do what the numenorians did Mm -hmm. the numenorians like you said were given many wondrous gifts by the Valar and uh, <laughs> and they what did they do with that they didn't just say hey we're going to take our toys and go play over here and not do what you want us to do they actively turn against the Valar mm-hmm. and and work against them and they uh, they reject Eru and begin praying to Melkor building temples to him and making human sacrifices to him you know that that kind of turn that's something that the noldor never even got close to yeah right they they had their differences with the valar but they never (laughs) does does that make sense they never they never actually did a 180 
mm-hmm. just went on a different path, a, a tangential path. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so it's it was a fool's hope maybe that Amandil said, hey, maybe they'll do the same for us. Well, no. you know, the, the Noldor didn't do anything like this. Yeah. Uh, this is a very, very, very bitter ex versus <laughs> there you go. Where a relationship that just didn't turn out well. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit like um, you're if you're King Arthur, your kid could just leave and not he could reject your way of life, or he could be Mordred and try to kill, kill you. you. Uh huh. Um, and it's like, yeah, I'm uh, sorry, Mordred, I'm gonna have to kill you first. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, all right. Ryan, where else do we want to go with this in our last couple minutes? Is there anything else we want to bring up? There's this this chapter is so freaking dense we could spend there's, there's a, a lot, lot of time on it. Um, but do you do you have anything else? Uh, nothing that comes to mind immediately. All right. Um, the Eagles are coming again. Did you catch that? No. There's oh man, there's a great illustration. Uh, people should go check it out. I'll show it to you after we're done here because uh, my illustrated copy is somewhere behind me. Um, but in the Ted Naismith. Uh, illustrated editions of the Silmarillion. There's a great uh, illustration of the Eagles of Manwë. Mm-hmm. So there's this description when the uh, when the Numenorans are setting sail or they're getting ready. They're threatening to make war on uh, on Amon, and the and Manwë essentially sends them a message via these clouds shaped like eagles or there's one there's this one great cloud and its wings stretch from north to south and it looks like an eagle that's coming it's got red lightning under its wings and it's totally badass right yeah. uh, and then later on as they're getting ready to actually set sail um out of the west there would come there would come at times a great cloud in the evening um Blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, sorry. That That's the first instance. The second instance is basically you're getting ready to set sail, and now there's a thousand of these clouds all coming right at you. Oh. And it's dope. Um, anyway, so people <laughs> should go check it out. I think it's a great illustration from Ted Naismith, this cloud shaped, you know, mm-hmm. with a beak and, and all this stuff. And it's really cool. Check Some really good imagery. So oh, cool. Oh, I missed that. All right, Ryan, I think uh, we'll probably have to call it there then. Um, if anybody has topics from this chapter that they do want us to address separately, let me know. Um, always do an add a, a little addendum to the yeah, episode. Later yeah, yeah, we do a Patreon exclusive, maybe something like that. <gasps> what content for our patrons? I know, I know. That's uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I threw it out there, but now I regret it immediately. <laughs> uh, I made work for myself. <laughs> no, please, please go to Discord. You can find the link at thelegendarium.com and you can uh, you can shout your suggestions at us. Um, I, I was kidding earlier. I do like to hear all the suggestions, even on the general channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what else you guys want us to talk about. So go to the episode discussion uh, page on Discord and and let us know. Uh, so with that in mind, Ryan. Enjoy your time off until the next Silmarillion episode. Yeah, what do we have? We only have one One more. One more. What's the last thing we've got? It's of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Ah. Uh, This is... I'll give you a little preview of what's coming up. This is... It's going to tell the story of the forging of the rings, the wars that surrounded that, and then it will tell the entirety of the Third Age, um, which lasts... 3,000 years, a little over 3,000 years. So when Sauron is defeated by Isildur, right? Mm -hmm. Cuts the ring off his hand. That begins, or that ends the Second Age, technically. 3,019 years later, Frodo throws the ring in the fire. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's how long the Third Age is. And the story of the War of the Ring, so that's the Lord of the Rings, is told in about three or four paragraphs, if that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, which uh, feeds into what we were talking about today with the, you know, there's a lot that you could sketch out from mm-hmm. this stuff. So that's what we have to look forward to is another kind of similar type of chapter um, wrapping up the, the whole third age. Got it. In 19 pages. Wow. So look forward to it. Um, I will, and I, I'm sure everybody else will as well. We've got one more to go and I will see you then. 